In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli. And we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm working right now, and I'm home. This is episode number 39. And we are going to be talking about returning to the office or maybe not returning to the office or maybe some hybrid of those things in between. You know, it's interesting that return to office is going to require a a vehicle um, because it makes me think back to what you originally told us, like early episodes about the the, our our country or our democracy or republic, whatever is a car. And, And I think about. Um, us as the driver, but then it's just deeper. It continues to work. So as I think about that vehicle, the economy and us as the workers, so we're there in the driver's seat, we're the workers, we're the drivers of this economy. And these rich people and these business leaders, you know, they may enable us, they may put fuel in the tank, uh, they may uh, give me roads to drive it on or give me the rubber that I need, import it. So these industry titans do, do help enable me uh, to, to live my best economy, um, but they don't get this level of control in my life in, in the office space. And I think that's the problem is they've gone from just enabling me to controlling. And this idea of the car and we choose our car uh, really just rings true to me. So uh, just get hearkening back to your original comments about it, it's our vehicle. Thank you, Ray. <clears throat> and that does a good job of painting the picture about freedom. Like, if we, you know, take the big step back and we're looking at the car and everything and, and whether it's a boat or a car, or whatever, it doesn't matter what the metaphor is. But talking about our freedom to pursue happiness and everything like that. So, you know, how much money, how much freedom should we be willing to give up to a private company or another individual, private individual for money? for the sake of money and especially if that purpose the purpose of that money is really to sustain my life or my livelihood like uh, food water shelter like if if my food water shelter if my the human condition the level of suffering in the human condition is tied to how much money someone or a company will give me to do something for them we have to be curious uh, careful it's a that's a very precarious relationship. It's always a precarious relationship when humans feel dependent on other humans for their livelihoods. So (laughs) putting it in the most basic terms, how much of your freedom should you give up for cash? It's almost as if we need uh, some kind of negotiating power. It's almost as if we had a universal basic income. Businesses might fear that we'll just choose to lay flat or take a year off. I like that kind of pressure on a company. That's where the government can help. We have all these issues where the government steps in, they don't do it well, they do 20 year wars and they fail. But there are places where government can enable us. And this is an ideal of of giving us that bargaining chip against our company because we we have almost nothing with off with these companies and i think return to office is the best illustration of 
dynamics with, with the companies. Because we have companies saying you will come back, pandemic or no. Yeah. Yeah, they want to go, they want to go back. They want to make the office great again or something. Who knows? But there's <laughs> the, there's one thing about space time. And when you're stuck to it, like an animal like us, <laughs> it only goes forward. We can only go forward. So with that said, we do want to put some kudos out there on the airwaves. Um, we want to give thanks to all those businesses that were, you know, uh, giving frontline workers, supporting them through this pandemic and giving people the opportunity to work remotely. I don't know. You know, it's interesting to give people you know, give companies and people kudos for making the right decisions when the right decisions was the obvious thing to do. But in times like these, I think it's important for us to recognize that, right? When people actually see the writing on the wall, understand that they're going to have to change quickly in order to maintain whatever semblance of deliveries they have on schedule, right? And shift to remote work. And I, we can put it out there and say, you know, we can give a moral thanks to say, you know, that was driven or motivated by saving lives, which it did, um, which is great, you know. And so what we have now is the opportunity to reexamine our old outmoded relationship to the company office. And in some ways, our outmoded relationship to companies in general, because the majority of U.S. workers today... And if you're a W-2 employee, your worker doesn't have a union, doesn't join a union, doesn't like interact with unions or have any protections afforded through the National Labor Relations Board Act. So, you know, we haven't been good about availing ourselves of the rights we had under the law to begin with, but collectively now everybody can take a step back and, and look at some of the policies that the companies you're working for are proposing before we go back to the office. Um, we're going to try and seed some knowledge here in this episode, just based on some of what the discussion is starting to look like. Uh, many of us who are back office or behind the office workers in cubicles and things like that are still working remote, but a lot of talk about going back to the office. And is it going to be flex? Is it going to be X number of days a week? Uh, so I, let's go. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I just to jump in before we move past it, because You've, you've encapsulated it really well, um, but I, I too want to give kudos because it's, it's passionate for me um, that in absence of true leadership in our, our state governments, some of our state governments, in absence of true leadership uh, um, across the board in the national level, the corporations did one thing for once. They took care of, frankly, their bottom line. I, I really believe that it's begrudgingly um, because some companies we knew of were wheeling out their computers on desk chairs because they were so unprepared. They were ill-prepared for this matter, right? So when you're at that level, but you're also doing the same thing by protecting your people. So more of this, please, I'd say to the corporations, thank you. And more of this, more compassion, more thoughts. And I just want to push back. And I know that the corporations are not there. Why? Because we have advocates in the business industry who are pushing return to office heavily. And they're citing things that are just uh, basically up to interpretation, like culture, things that are air, that are invisible. 
So no mm-hmm. real physical benefit. So I want to stress to everyone that though I give a lot of credit, we both give credit to the office, or excuse me, the corporations for making these decisions. We can tell they're struggling with it and they want their cookies back, which is the, our souls in seats. Yeah, I hear and see a lot of anecdotal evidence from poor leadership styles, right? They're like, oh, but remember when, and they would talk about when they were being most successful in their role and it required them to have the crux of people immediately at their beck and call so that they didn't have to plan, think ahead, you know, uh, do anything other than yell somebody's name across the room and get an immediate response to something. Yeah. And then, you know, their quote, um, collaboration or spontaneous creative collaboration or things of that nature, which I haven't seen a lot of evidence for. I hear a lot of people tout it. But again, I think it comes from people's anecdotal experiences and how they like or prefer personally to have people, as you said, souls in seats at their beck and call. Well, well, I mean, I'm sure this is the same argument that the plantation owners had. You don't have easy access if you have to pay the labor and that you can't just keep them on your land and, you know, get them out of bed whenever you need to. They probably had the same argument. If they're not there, I can't see them. So think how far labor has come. (laughs) Thank you. I shouldn't laugh, but mm, it's not that far off by any means. And we've, and we've talked about it before. I'll, you know, probably reference back to a few of the previous episodes we've had in this show um, where we've, we've drawn some of those, (laughs) some of those relationships. So in any case, uh, we'll move on. We don't need to jump in any points we've already made in the past, but uh, the good news is there's new studies coming out. There's been new experiments that have happened. um, People paying attention to the results of us going into this remote mode and even reducing the work week so keep in mind ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between out there who's listening the weekend we invented we created the weekend through labor law and and just renegotiating labor's relationship to their employers um, many years ago so the idea that we work five days a week is just was a negotiated deal um, we could be working four days a week and What's even greater about the fact that we could be working four days a week is that there are studies. There is now scientific evidence. It's been studied in more than one case, and the results are showing up the same. Um, There are a lot of benefits to moving to a four-day work week, and this is in gains both in productivity and in personal satisfaction. So there's a couple of studies. We'll include it in the show notes. I know there was one in, I believe, Microsoft did one in Japan. And there were some other ones across Europe. And of course, Germany has always been kind of touted as an interesting model because they have a heavy hand on their labor controls. And I think they were one of the first ones to implement a 35-hour work week many years ago. And I think it was just uh, to make sure there was enough jobs to go around essentially after the world wars or something like that. But um, their, their labor controls have remained strong and their relationship with labor remains strong. So they retool people, the things that Ray and I have been talking about, like the, you know, universal basic income, but then also planning for change, right? There was a previous episode when we were talking about the donut economy and they made it a point that the sick, 
the cyclical nature of the economy, the new economy that's going to be emerging is going to require us to tool up more often in our lifetimes. Like the old days when America was great again, I guess we'll talk at some point, we'll draw more parallels to the fifties, but you know, people went to go work for a company and that company took care of them and gave them a pension. And then they went and retired and they were, everything was hunky and dory, but none of that was sustainable. And since then they've steadily, you know, drawn back on any of that. Um, so our relationship is very precarious to our jobs and our employers now, nothing like it used to be. And, and we don't need to go back to that. We just need to lean into <laughs> what we know works well for us, which is having choices. None of us wants to go work in a desk for 30 years. Um, that was not the most fulfilling way to do things. And relying on nothing but investments to get you to retirement is also precarious. I've seen that in real life. Um, so in any case, the four-day work week, sorry. Right. You let, yeah. No, you, you're, you're right. Let the market decide it's for milk. It's not for people. And so right now we've let the free market of salary, which has not budged at all all that's impossible how do you have prices go up as much as they have yet wages stay stagnant so we see that there is a a big issue with the the relationship so what we're not we're not again hybrid remote is really what we think is is the idea which is a purposeful in um face-to-face on-site contact so leaders have to be better leaders when they are I don't know what else to say. When I was a leader, I would, I would say it's the Disneyland effect. I would, I would coach the other leaders around me to say, when your staff is in, it's not your job to tell them how stressed you are and how busy you are. It's your job to empower, engage, and, and, and even entertain if you can pull it off successfully while being appropriate, which is not very easy. Uh, but I think that that's what's important is that the office should be an engaging environment. People should be excited to come in the office. If people are begrudging about coming into your office, you have no culture. There was no culture. They would long for it, right? What people are longing for is having coffee in the morning. I, I'm, I'm always a stickler on that. Therefore, being surrounded, and like Michael said, they're, the leaders are for having the access at their fingertips. We're not Google, we're people. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. We'll hear a message from our sponsor and then we'll come back and keep me on topic. <laughs> Thank you. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Fulfilling a dream we're all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under the law. Citizen Duguid values the promise of all of the amendments to the Constitution, along with the core documents. Taken together, they form a framework and an operating manual for the Republic, and it provides us the means to change with the times. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes, through the app on the web, or through your device. If you don't feel like you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. 
Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics and not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has specialty merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution that helps us pay for production and for hosting. Please feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. You know, as I look at the topic about the overemphasis of an office, it makes me think about something I learned early on as a trainer as a facilitator in a classroom, is that most people, or even a public speaker, uh, I, most people don't remember what was said, what happened. They actually just remember the emotion. So most people don't, you know, encapsulate exactly what occurred or what was said that made them upset. When they come away from a situation, they will take away the emotion. So I really appreciate you bringing in this overemphasis about in office because a lot of people are longing, right? It's been a year or more for some of us. And what I want people to, re- to try to remember is that the emotional remem- memory, try to tie it back to what it was and then and, and try to, you know, not get the office mixed into it. Don't mix up the office. It was just there. So replace the office with a park. It still could have happened. Replace the office with a museum or a coffee shop. It still could have happened. If you enjoy human connections, that's what's important. And you deserve to invest time in it when you choose, not when they choose. No, that's a great point. A call out for reflection there. Um, And just a reminder on the brain, you know, how we remember things it tends to be rosier, right? We remember the more positive emotions. This is, this is a function of our memories, um, especially when we slip into nostalgia. Uh, nostalgia has a way of selecting for the things that were great or we enjoyed or we miss uh, with, without presenting some of the aspects that were less positive. And, and thank you for that, Ray. Yeah, think about the things that you enjoy or you miss, the longing, whatever longing or nostalgia you're experiencing from times in the office, maybe examine that. See, you know, see what from it is really related to the fact that you're in that physical office. Probably not. Think about what you achieved, what you accomplished, what about that event, that interaction really did it for you and figure out how to pivot it, pivot it to another environment, a new environment. If it's not virtual, then it's outdoors, you know, in a physical place where people can be co-located safely. Um, we, we have to really take a step back and rethink of these things. So besides just moving to a four day work week, which it, it would, you know, it'd be eight hours less than 40, whatever the math is there, 32 hours a week, we'd be working, um, and still getting everything done. I mean, I'm not talking about four by tens. We're, we're talking about a four day work week, legitimately. So, um, and, and the evidence is there, the data is there to support that. So it'd be really exciting to see if we can, we can move our companies in that direction. If we can, as workers apply pressure to move in that direction, it would be really great. And, and hopefully there'll be more studies coming out supporting it because we can make a really good business case with all the studies that are coming out. Um, and just make a note, anybody out there who wants anything to happen in business, make a business case. Uh, there's always, you know, there's always a financial or, or a productivity or whatever argument to be made in the world of business, then it can't be ignored, um, especially if you can make it about the bottom line. Hybrid remote work. 
So going to hybrid requires us to be more purposeful. Uh, Ray was alluding to this, you know, the idea that as a leader, we need to be considerate about how we lead. And we have a lot of leaders, we have a lot of people out there that are just workers. They're just highly paid, salaried workers. They're like delivering things, but they're not delivering leadership. And we need to get back to a point. I've, I've heard people in companies even recently make this comment. We've got managers who aren't managing and not in the way that they should be over your shoulder micromanaging, but this idea that, yeah, we, we <laughs> leaders, managers should be taking a step back and, you know, holistically looking at the environment and the culture that's being created. And are they doing things because it's personally easy for them to do it that way? Or are they actually doing things the right way, which is more difficult um, and actually does require real leadership? And so the hybrid environment forces us to be purposeful in why we're bringing people together, right? We can remain flexible with our workforce, but we need to be cognizant with an eye to maximize any benefits from having people in the office or co-located, even if it's not in an office, if it's for an event, maybe a team building activity. If it's not for a team building activity, it's it's for, you know, a joint application design meeting or, you know, whatever you might have to bring people together to solve problems, you know, creatively in person. There is some value to that, but that's a very specific purpose. There's a specific goal in mind, a specific output for bringing people together, whether whether the goal or the output be increased camaraderie, increased teamwork through some measurable metric, or to have defined the milestones for a project or a product, you know, have come together on some intractable problems people have been working on for a month remotely and haven't been able to pull it together. So we're just going to pull everyone out of their daily grind and come together and finally solve this problem that's been intractable. But we have to do it thoughtfully, right? We have to set the stage. We have to have some pomp and circumstance to it, like you're saying, right? And that will like bring so many benefits to these types of interactions that didn't need to be afforded before or the level of engagement, you know, to prepare for something like this when you just happen to have people around. I continue to re-examine my position. I want to be clear that I, you, I was formerly an in-office advocate. I was a production expert. I was able to gain tons of production gains for my former companies, enough that they could reduce staff by a third at one point. So, you know, I understand what the, the human fingers can bear, but that's if you remove the humanity. And that's why I don't work with that company anymore. And that's why I chose to vote with my feet because I have that ability. I have the ability to come up with great processes and designs that can be used for good or evil. There's, there's a balance, I'm sure, in everything. As unfortunately, with business, it is a balance because we've seen business can be the most evil. Yeah. Yeah. So all of us need to be cautious about the pitfalls of continuing an overemphasis on in-person interactions. So many pitfalls. Besides working people to the bone, there's something there's there's more insidious things 
uh, that are allowed to continue to prevail, especially inequalities and injustice and inequalities with people getting promotions because of who they know, you know, nepotism, bias. So many of those things are born out of in-office interactions, right, with people. Um, it's a, it's like a type of social filter, you know, um, moving people back into the office, it can further isolate best candidates from coveted position because they haven't gotten enough face time with the boss. So when everybody's in the office, the boss, you know, doesn't have to make a point or nobody has to know how much face time the boss has with certain individuals. So they get to pick their favorites, right? They let their biases slip in. And now, <clears throat> excuse me, they're, you know, there's this behind the scenes selection on who they want to see move ahead um, in the department or in the company, or even more subtly, maybe someone's bonus may be more likely to be affected by having a lack of in-person content with contact with key people in the office, or some people's bonus is bigger just because they had FaceTime with somebody in the office. And so I think in a lot of ways, going to a remote hybrid model, you know, you're required, you should be required to have one-on-ones with all of your people, right? Um, you, it, it should help level the playing field so that our interactions, again, are more intentional. And you just, you know, subconsciously, I think about the people who shoot the breeze at the cooler or the people who have no problem going and chit-chatting with the boss and closing the door. And then they're having some conversation. It might not be work-related, but in the back of the minds, what's happening in that interaction that casual interaction in the office is is increased bias towards maybe that individual because of a personal connection or a personal relationship that gets them ahead for the next promotion or the next bonus. So there's a lot of that that was happening in the office that this remote environment disrupts. And I think that's a really, really good thing. And I don't know if there's anything you want to. Um, no, that's you're right. You're right. That the disruption is good. We need a disruption because the old offices was designed by, I'm frankly, the good old boys. Um, the office we're in was designed. And it's, and it's so, I'm sorry, if the office was so important, why are the cubicles shrinking? Okay, is anyone's workplace not experiencing a minimization of the cubes and, yeah. and, and putting the desks closer together? And it, well, if the office was so important, then why are we remote desk everywhere now? Because everyone's like, oh, you, you hoteling, excuse me. You choose mm-hmm. your desk when you get in the office and we have 300 employees at this site, but only a hundred seats. This is innovation. The office is so important. Come on. It was already going there. So don't look at what's happening. So use both senses, all senses, feel that tiny desk that they're making you go to every day and then ask yourself, oh, culture, this tiny little desk is, and it's shrinking every 10 years. So is the culture shrinking? Oh, I can't, I don't get it, Mike. I don't, leaders, you've got to try harder than just talking. And I think that's what's going to be difficult. They could come out of their cubicle their bigger cubicle usually and they could be like blah 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 yakety schmackety culture okay no you didn't do your job you didn't do your job you need to meet with every individual and make sure and that's the thing that was the really bad leaders did that they just yelled across the group like the peasantry and then there were leaders that did the one-on-ones and people would have to jump to different leaders just to get development and nurturement or whatever but 
you're absolutely right. I, I mean, that that's the problem. But leaders need to change, right? But what can we do to change leaders? Yeah, we're gonna have to start managing up. So our our calls to action, you know, we're gonna be asking people to maybe have some conversations that are a little bit challenging for them. But more importantly, just shift your thinking a little bit more. Remember, you as an individual human on this earth only gets X number of years to your life. Companies get to live forever. (laughs) And eventually rich people will probably get to live forever too. So (laughs) keep in mind that you need to protect the years you have available to your life on this planet. Um, and just because you are, we're all born into this system where we're, we need a salary or we need an income, we're beholden to that in order to have food. Don't let that confuse you too much. Although that's difficult, I understand we're in a very precarious position when we're trying to negotiate. We do have power. So now is the time for us to push back against any demands to return to the old normal. We do not need to go back to the old in office for 40 hours a week. That makes absolutely no sense. And we know that's true now more than ever among more of us than ever. So make it a part of your one-on-one and maybe your salary negotiations and any of your employee surveys to make it a point to push back on this full-time in-office stuff. And if you have an opportunity to talk about or rate the culture, if the culture isn't developing you, making you feel included, isn't getting you clearly to where you want to go or on a roadmap to where you want to go with your career, even if it takes you away from that company, these are things that you should have. These are things that you deserve as an employee. You deserve a plan. Now you have a responsibility to help make it happen. Um, so this is what we're kind of calling out to you to make sure you're doing on your side of the fence, because all too often we don't serve ourselves well enough and our managers and our leaders have very little opportunity to feel like they did anything you know, in, incorrectly because we're not doing enough to push for ourselves. So it's important for us to demand these things. It's, these are our lives. And, and to respectfully dissent, we want to be clear, you know, we're not asking you to go get fired through insubordination. We all know that the old aristocrat structure still exists in the business environment. So you have to be respectful to the leaders, but you need to ask the questions and you need to say, I don't understand why you want me to go in debt to get a car when I just realized that I don't need one for a year and a half. I want to understand how I can help not pollute uh, my state, which is Arizona, which has a huge pollution problem in the city because of the, 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 the bowl, which is that we don't have wind to carry our pollution away like some cities or countries. We, we have that issue where the air quality is very poor. Can I not pollute? So make the conversation semi-philosophical and ask, don't tell. I think that's what's different. Sometimes people get in a work position and you start getting a position where you tell them what they're going to do. And really you shouldn't, you should really just plea in a sense and ask. That's where our bargaining power is. I think in that one-on-one, if you don't have a union, right? I'm sure union conversations are much different, but in a non-union environment, you just need to ask. And how long have you been there? Okay. How long have you already been at your company? Five, 10 years. How much longer will you be there? 
just keep asking year over year and let them know what's important to you. This isn't something that's going to change tomorrow. This is something that takes ages, much like our racism is taking ages to, 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 to de-evolve, right? And, and move out of our, our vernacular. The way we command people, the workforce, the way leaders believe they own you and needs to stop. And it's going to take time for that to go, because guess what? Have you ever taken a, to- a toy away from a child? <laughs> there are a lot of children in positions, right? Michael, you said it. A lot of workers who were just really, really good and they were moved into a position. So now they're basically a child amongst, amongst leaders and they really should be leaders among, and they need to know how to drive a business and help people grow. But it, we've all worked for children, right? Someone who's like me, me, me and doesn't know how to share and place favorites. Thanks. No, that's, that's very powerful. You know, the, the business case, the logical argument, doing what makes sense for the business, right? As an employee, I want the business to be successful as well. Help me understand how this is better for the business. Would, you know, in my mind, this would be better, you know, or how, how is always a great question. And it's, yeah, asking those questions is really important, and that's the best way to approach it. I agree. Um, being inquisitive and searching for the logic of it all, like the reasoning, the real reason, not that emotional whatever they want. We're not in a relationship where managers can get whatever they want from us. That's not the point. The point is the company has policies that need to be followed, adhered to, work that needs to be done. And we need to be doing it the most efficient, effective way possible for the company, right? So anytime you can reframe things like, what, how is this better for the company? How is this better for us? How is this aligned to our culture? How is this in accordance with this policy? Those are your best mechanisms of operation <laughs> in this yeah. environment. And not to villainize all bosses because they're great bosses. And, and really, they are a product. Just like our over-consumerism is an issue, they are a product of the system. The system, everyone has a boss, including our CEOs of these corporations. There are people in a higher level that say, we must keep it business as usual. This is the way the economy works. We know what works. Why get away? And they speak in very high fashion, I'm sure. But that that is the issue, is that there is too much uniformity in our system. Centralization, we're against it. All right, I'm done, Michael, I think. Yeah. Last call to action before we wrap up is to make yourself aware of the history of labor and our hard-fought gains like the weekend, right? Which is how we make gains, through hard fights (laughs) and not physical fights. Yes, I need to, uh, right. We're not finished just yet, folks. So we're just asking you to ask your boss for a little bit in a conference room. In the old days, if you showed any disdain or you protested, they had the authority to shoot you down. So we've come a long way in labor and we have a long way to go. Sure have. We're going to go out on that note. Everybody stay safe. (laughs) We've been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Michael Piscatelli. Uh, You've truly shot me down. Bang, bang. Uh, This has been something that's for sure. 
For more information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendugan.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up the contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thanks you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fizzlian Studios, Inc.